The main thing that I think will change in the venture capital world is that we will, like every other industry eventually does, use more technology in our processes. Right now we are very low tech and I think it is inevitable that we will have to go through the tech transformation that pretty much every industry has before us. Welcome to VC Evolve podcast, conversations about the future of VC. Our guest today is Jules Miller. Jules is an investor, three-time founder, and corporate entrepreneur. She's a partner and U.S. lead for Mindset Ventures, investing in seed to Series B enterprise tech startups. She's also a founder of VC3 Labs, an investment DAO for professional VCs with more than 200 VCs in 28 countries, decentralizing deal flow, diligence, and portfolio support. Jules earned her BA from UCLA and her master's degree from the London School of Economics. She's a Kaufman Fellow and co-leads their blockchain special interest group. Jules, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here and talk about my favorite topic, which is the future of venture capital and innovation. Amazing. So as you know, on this podcast, I only ask one main question. How do you see the VC model evolving in the next few years? But before we get into that, can you tell us more about how you see the VC model today? Is it broken? Is it efficient? What do you think? Venture capital has worked really well for a lot of people for a very long time. So I don't think it's entirely broken. I think there's a certain group of venture capitalists who will continue to do things in a traditional way. And that works for them. It works extremely well for them. What I think is happening, though, is that venture capital, which used to be a very small, clubby, exclusive group, is broadening and widening. So there's more global participation, there's more emerging managers, there's more micro funds, there's different asset classes dipping down into VC and, and all sorts of things. And so it's becoming more diversified and robust. And I think the same game doesn't work for every venture capitalist. So you're seeing innovation happening, you're seeing things work and not work. What I do think is broken is I think the idea that the traditional Silicon Valley model of VC is the only way to do it is wrong. That works for some funds, but it doesn't work for everything. And you're starting to see some new takes on the venture capital model that I think are very, very interesting. Well, you mentioned the Silicon Valley way of doing things. Can you explain what is the Silicon Valley way and why do you think it's not viable anymore? Absolutely. So the Silicon Valley way is generally through networks, looking at the founders and being part of a very mature ecosystem. So it's the kind of Sequoias and Andreessen's and that group of folks who have a brand, who are known, who are mostly generalist VCs. There are some exceptions, but it's kind of the generalist VC model. And there's a certain way of doing things, right? It's like, you know, growth at almost any cost. It's networks. Even though things are changing a little bit, everyone needs to be in the Bay Area or nearby and together to do things. And there's a kind of playbook that has worked very well for a long time. And again, I think that still works in certain cases, but it's not necessarily the only way. Let me push back a little bit. I mean, the Silicon Valley way or model have created huge companies and we're seeing maybe different other ways. Are they as effective as the Silicon Valley way? What is the alternative for the Silicon Valley way? The things that I think are interesting are different ways of approaching venture capital. Anyone can write a check. And I think the, the typical traditional Silicon Valley way is a very artisan, high touch, you know, person to person model. 
And I think the things that are most interesting to me are the models that are getting away from one fund, from ownership percentages, from being super focused on human judgment and getting more into data and analysis and benchmarking and doing things in a way that, that of course, the human is always going to be part of it, but there's more tools and more structure than the kind of closed-ended funds that are just focused on doing things in a traditional way, which is like really relying on human judgment and individual cults of personality. As a data scientist, I believe in uh, becoming more of a data-driven investors. This would remove some biases and it will make the VC model more inclusive of underrepresented founders and minorities. I want to go back to another thing you mentioned. There are different asset classes now in VC. What are those new asset classes? Well, I, what I'll say is uh, different asset classes have tried to come into venture capital, uh, some successfully, some not so much. So, uh, for example, private equity is pretty notorious for coming down and playing in the venture world. So you have folks like Tiger who were very active and for a while and then have mostly kind of pulled out. You've got folks like Bain and BCG, you know, and that kind of group that are still very active and have great funds that are, I think, performing pretty well. And they're bringing a more consultative and, and private equity approach, which is a little bit more, honestly, disciplined from a financial standpoint. And so they come at it more like professional financers versus I think VCs, old school Silicon Valley is a little bit more cowboy personality driven, but they're coming at it from a little bit more of a of a disciplined finance approach, which can be great, but also can backfire as we saw with something like Tiger. Okay, and we've seen Sequoia going into public funds. I mean, they continue to hold shares in their portfolio companies even after IPOs. Do you think this is a good move? How would this affect the the future of VC? Because now we're kind of getting into the hedge funds territory. Right? Exactly. Well, I think the Sequoia Fund is a, is a particular animal. I think it was very risky for them to do that. I think there's some very good things about it, but also some things that their LPs are not so happy about. So to be determined whether that's a winning model or not. What I do think is happening is that a lot of venture capital funds, the bigger ones, they're just kind of this bifurcation of venture capital. So the bigger funds are becoming more diversified asset managers. So they're doing things like debt, they're doing early stage, later stage, growth stage, and sometimes getting into the public markets. And I do think that that will continue. I think the more capital under management, especially in this new world of venture capital where with things like AI, you don't necessarily need an enormous amount of venture capital funding to go into companies in order to get the same types of returns. And so I think if you raise billions in AUM, you can't just do venture and you certainly can't just do early stage venture anymore. The model just doesn't work anymore. So what you do is look for different opportunities that are aligned along the asset classes that are similar to venture and that support venture. And there's lots of opportunities there. And I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think you're seeing a lot more registered investment advisors and funds that are doing a couple of different funds, increasing their AUM and look more like asset managers than venture capital funds. And then on the flip side of that, you get the more traditional funds. You're getting a lot more micro funds, small funds, emerging managers who are doing very, very small funds. And those are both still called venture capital, but they're very different animals. Can you tell us more about what is VC3, how does it work, and what's the big vision of VC3? Absolutely. Just as a quick context, 
I'm always looking for ways to improve whatever it is I'm doing. I've been an entrepreneur at big companies. I've been an entrepreneur in very boring industries like the legal industry. Um, I got into blockchain and crypto, not because it was cool and trendy, but because I thought it was really amazing for how we did contracts and the fundamental tenets of business and auditing and things like that. So I, I get really excited about kind of maybe some boring things, but the thing that I always like to see is innovation and how can we continue to improve in whatever it is we're doing and push the model forward of whatever it is we're doing? I think even in industries that work, like venture capital generally works for the most part, you can make it better. You can evolve with the trends. You can incorporate more of the things that exist now that didn't exist in the past, like AI, for example, generative AI. And so the premise of venture capital um, is how do we invest in innovation? And I think, ironically, there's been very little innovation in the venture capital model itself. And so I've been in the blockchain and crypto world since 2015, actually coming from the legal tech world. And that's why I got excited about it. And what I see as a big opportunity is more community-driven investing. So venture capital funds tend to be very small businesses. There's maybe five people, 10 people, maybe the biggest funds have 100 people, but that's still a pretty small business on the scale of things. So you have a lot of very, again, cult of personalities, like very specific to each fund. And where I think there's a lot of opportunity is to two things, use more technology in the venture capital process, and then also use uh, more community-driven approaches. So how do you share deal flow, for example, among a community of trusted investors? How do you do diligence together? How do you incentivize people properly to support each other, especially if you're at maybe a smaller fund that doesn't have a massive amount of people, for example, on a platform team that can do portfolio support? Can you tap in to a community of incredible experienced investors to do things that make everyone money and help everyone succeed and produce better returns. So VC3 DAO, which it started as a DAO, is a decentralized autonomous organization. So we were one of the early examples of an investment DAO. And I think we were and still are the only example of an investment DAO where everyone is a professional investor. So not an angel investor, not crowdfunding. Everyone in our community is a venture capital investor professionally full-time. So we have about 200 VCs in 28 countries, as you mentioned at the beginning. And what that looks like is there's a high bar, right? We have to have very high quality deal flow. We're not looking at any deal that comes in. So there's kind of a vetting process. And that vetting process is one of our members has to sponsor the deal. And that's usually when they're doing the deal themselves and deploying capital into it already. So we're not looking at hundreds of deals inbound from the interwebs. We're we're having really curated deal flow among a trusted group of VCs. This group of VCs is mostly from... Um, an existing network called the Kauffman Fellows Network. So this is a two-year fellowship program for, for venture capitalists, very highly regarded. I think almost 900 alumni now. Uh, we have about 20% of the alumni community participating in this experiment, and it is an experiment. But what we found is it was really interesting. So there were some really fascinating things. We were getting great deal flow because our members were doing great deals. And so they would bring things to the table that they had already pretty much vetted. And so all of a sudden, you're just getting great deals that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise seen from a trusted source. Secondly, I think there's a really interesting thing here where like every fund does diligence and evaluates a deal a little bit differently. And one of the things that our members were so excited about is we would get on a call with like 25 VCs, we'd listen to the company pitch, and then we'd ask the founders to leave. And we'd talk about it for half an hour or an hour. And very rarely do you get to hear how different investors and different 
industries in different geographies and different kind of parts of the venture world evaluate the same deal. And so we actually learned a lot from each other as well. And so to me, those are two small examples. VC3 had a first fund that's a small fund that was focused exclusively on Web3. So we had about a $5 million fund. We did 12 deals. We still have a little bit left that we're deploying now. But the model, even though it's a Web3 structure, it doesn't need to be a Web3 fund. So we're actually working on fund two now that is not a Web3 fund. It's still using the DAO model, but it's not necessarily a Web3 investment thesis. And so that should be launched sometime next year. But the idea here is that that the structures work, whether you call them Web3 or not. So what we've done in this market is it's still an investment DAO. However, we call it more a community. It still has a token, but the token really represents fractionalized carry. So we call it fractionalized carry. And so I think there's this evolution generally of the Web3 industry, and I think we'll see this with AI eventually, is that there's a lot of hype about it and people get excited about it. But then uh, once that excitement is over, you start looking at what the results are and what the impact is and what it can do. And the technology matters less than the results. And to me, what's interesting about the uh, VC3 DAO is that it is that community-driven approach. It's how we do things together. It's how we learn from each other and get stronger as investors and to produce returns together. All of that is one of the things I'm excited about in the future of venture capital. The second thing that we're doing now that's kind of changed into a platform model, which is how do we use more technology within venture capital industry. So we have a lot of funds who are building tools themselves. There are some startups that are doing things. What we're trying to do is say, what are what is the tech people are using or building? And how can we integrate that into everyone's processes? We are, for example, building a very simple deal flow sharing tool. So it's how do we share deals with our members in a very specific way? I might know all 200 members, but I actually don't know exactly what they invest in all the time. And so how do we do that in a specific way? These are things that we do anyway as a venture capital investor. I reach out and help my portfolio companies do fundraising. I reach out and to my network, but it's more ad hoc. It's a little less process oriented. It's again, that artisan touch. And we're trying to make it a little bit more systematic, a little bit more trackable, a little bit more consistent throughout our membership by using some pretty basic tools. And the more we do it, the more sophisticated the tools will get, but it's a, been an interesting process so far. Wow, there's a lot to unpack, <laughs> that was a lot. but we don't have the time to go through all of those details. But I want to ask about maybe two or three main things about the VC3 sure. model. So first of all, I understand the learning component, especially if it's a new tech, like you mentioned, it's Web3. Not everybody understands Web3, and it's a very technical field. So coming in with 200 co-investors and learning together about this technology and to understand how to evaluate companies in there. This is a big value add. But you mentioned that you're not going to invest in Web3 only in the future. There would be all other industries. So the learning component might not be as big. I understand emerging VCs might appreciate that learning component, but there's also the competition component. VCs are competing over uh, really good deals, right? Especially in the US, especially maybe in Silicon Valley, enhance the, the learning and the sharing uh, components. Yeah, VC is an interesting industry where there is quite a lot of 
very highly competitive people, especially when you're trying to get into a, a deal. Um, but there's also quite a lot of collaboration and we like to work well with investors who we think are value add. And all of that is to support the portfolio companies succeeding and performing, having an exit, making everyone successful. And so I think what you see is that the co-opetition uh, concept, which is, yes, we're competitive and yes, we're also collaborative and it has to be focused. It has to be structured. So for example, you don't share a deal with all 200. So when we first started this, we were sharing deals among everyone, right? So it was, hey, here's a deal. Does anyone, is anyone interested? And I think that we learned over time that that doesn't really work. People actually question the value of the deal. Why would you be sharing this with everyone? And so there was kind of this, even if it was a great deal, there was kind of this negative perception of like, well, if it's a great deal, why are you sharing it with everyone here? And so we're moving to a model where it is a little bit more focused, where you can choose who to, to share the deal with. You can choose who you want feedback with. The beautiful thing about platforms and things like blockchain is that you can have uh, both incentives and you can have tracking things that make it more gamified. So for example, you can have a reputation score. So if I have a higher reputation score, I might be able to share more deals. I might get access to more deals and I can maybe either buy into my reputation score or I can like by having tokens or I can earn into it. Meaning if I contribute more, I earn more, and then I unlock different levels of access depending on that. And so there's this kind of interesting gamified structure that, again, we're very early in the process of building out, but it is intended to mimic what happens generally in the, the offline world, which is this happens anyway. If you have a brand in Silicon Valley, if you've known someone for 20 years, you have a reputation, but can you do that in a more automated way? using technology and also may, allowing people to have access and to build their reputation who maybe aren't in Silicon Valley, didn't come from those networks and you know, making it, it's never going to be a fair industry. Like I, I just, we need to acknowledge that. Like it's not a meritocratous industry really, but how can you kind of jumpstart your reputation in a faster way than, you know, spending 20 years raising five funds and going through the grind. Um, there's a lot of, of slowness to the venture capital industry. And I think we can subvert that and make it a little faster um, if we automate and track things better. So I think the, the, this is a long answer, but the short answer is essentially that it is hard to find that balance between cooperation and competition, but that's what we do every day anyway. And so how do we formalize that and automate that? And it's a process of trial and error. Some things work and some things don't, and then we readjust until they work perfectly. So one of the main criticism of VC firms is that they do not really use technology. They invest in technology, but they do not use it. And you're trying to use technology, you're building a product that would scale and automate building a reputation as a new VC firm and to co-invest with other VC firms. It's an amazing effort. And uh, where can people learn more about it? Can you share with us a link? The website is vc3labs.com. It's pretty basic. We don't show the product to everyone. If you want to know more information, if you're a venture capitalist that wants to participate in the ecosystem, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm at Jules E. Miller on Twitter, but vc3labs.com is the uh, is the main website. Great. So th the last thing I want to understand about the VC3 model or the DAO model, the investment DAO model, is the economics. How does it work? What's in it for me as a VC to share? I'm sharing deal flow with others to bring more funding to my portfolio companies. Is there anything other than that? You mentioned something about the token. Can you explain what is that token? How does it work? Where the value for that token comes from? Ah, yes, the token. So there's two ways. There's the traditional way, and then there's the more innovative way that is still a work in progress. The traditional way is that if you, and, and this is just 
what happens anyway, but we're formalizing a little bit is if you share great deals, then maybe people or you show your expertise in some way as part of a community, then hopefully you'll get more better deal flow. And the name of the game here for venture capitalists is not short term gains. It's long term gains. It's how do we invest in the best companies, get access to the best deals, get into the best deals on the experimental level. What we're doing with tokens is very interesting is that there is a token right now. It has no value or very minimal value, but you earn tokens for things. You earn tokens for sharing deals. You earn tokens for commenting on deals, for supporting diligence, for doing portfolio support, making introductions, even if it's not your portfolio company, there's all sorts of things you can earn tokens for. You can earn tokens for participating in governance, serving on a committee, all of this. Uh, and so the idea right now, it's not formalized yet, is that the token represents a portion of fractionalized carry. So we allocate a portion of, of the funds that are involved in BC3. We allocate that back to the DAO. And so when you're earning tokens, at some point, they will be connected to a piece of the carry from the, the economics here, from the investments that are made. In the long term, the vision is that very similar to a venture partner, um, if you're sharing deals or if you're gaining deals from this community, you would share a piece of the carry of that on a deal by deal basis. So we haven't had this implemented yet, but this is the, the concept for the future is that right now we're just getting the proving the model and getting it up and running and making it making sure it works. But um, it's a very normal model in the venture capital world to have employees, to have contractors, to have venture partners who are supporting you generally by sourcing great deals or being board partners or other things, and they're earning a piece of carry. That same model can be applied to a platform. And so if you're getting great deals from the VC3 platform, then you be contributing a portion of the carry back to the VC3 platform, which would then go back to the token, which would then be uh, part of the reward for the people who are sharing those deals and uh, participating in the ecosystem in some way that's adding value. So that's the idea. Uh, the industry is still really early. So this is all possible, but in practice, it's still it's still new. So we spend an enormous amount of time, for example, on legal and compliance because um, it's a security and we know it's a security. And so we want to be very careful about how we implement that. But the the potential is just so interesting and has the opportunity to really shift the dynamics of how venture capitalists work and also how they collaborate, that we've been exploring it and refining it over the past two years and will continue to do so. Well, I wanted to ask you about the future of VC, but I'm realizing that you're living in the future of VC with VC3 model. So maybe back to the main question of this podcast and maybe three to five years, how do you see the future of the VC model or the VC industry? What trends do you think they will focus on? What changes do you think we will have? And if there's anything you would like to share that I didn't ask about, please feel free to. The main thing that I think will change in the venture capital world is that we will, like every other industry eventually does, use more technology in our processes. Right now we are very low tech, and I think it is inevitable that we will have to go through the tech transformation that pretty much every industry has before us. And so I think that what that looks like will depend on the fund. It will depend on a lot of things. But if you are not using things like AI for deal sourcing, if you're not using automation in your diligence process, then you're going to be at a very big disadvantage compared to other funds. And so this will happen like everything. It'll happen slow and then it'll happen fast. But in the three to five year period, I think you'll see every venture fund be more and more automated as we go and there will be best practices and there will be leaders who are much more tech savvy and ahead of the game and there will be the stalwarts that refuse to use technology and they'll probably be okay in their own in their own right for a while 
Uh, but the thing with venture capital funds is that they are pretty long-term. So it's usually a five-year investment period. So we've got about five years to prove that what we're doing works and start seeing some returns or at least some markups in the funds. And the make or break point will be when LPs decide if that's interesting or not. And so I think the LP community has been mostly left out of this conversation, but at some point LPs will be evaluating the funds that we're working with and investing in. Are they doing the things we think they need to do to have the best advantage? And I think that will start to include what are they using to automate their process? What tech stack are they using? And that has not been part of the conversation to date, really. I think it will start to be more and more. I love this. Using tech to scale VC, I think it's the only way. Jules Miller, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you joining me and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you.